What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Will Wood's Faith in Marriage. So grateful to have you joining me today for this episode. All right, in my work with young people, the question of discernment almost always comes up. What does God want for my life? How can I use the gifts that he's given me to the best of my ability? And am I emotionally ready for a lifelong commitment? And it seems that in my counseling practice and in my mentorship and in, in just genuine con- genuine conversation following presentations or things of that nature, it's that last question that seems to cause the most consternation. So that is what we're going after in today's episode. Joining me on the pod today is Sister Josephine Garrett, a religious sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth and a practicing counselor in the area of Tyler, Texas. In today's episode, Sister Josephine shares her vocational story. We also discuss some of the areas that we've heard in young people's discernment with regards to these questions that we're speaking about. We define basic principles of what is healthy enough, the qualities in life that aid good discernment, and what are the things that get in the way of good discernment. So in today's episode, you're getting a good balance of story, reflection, and practical principles to help you in your capacity, to grow in your capacity, to discern God's will for your life. So when the show is done, please offer your thoughts on Facebook or Instagram if you find this helpful. If you don't find it helpful, if you have some other thoughts that you think that we miss, love to be able to hear all of that. I love being able to use social media as something actually for, for good and positivity. I love being able to get into conversations with my listeners. So please offer some comments and thoughts there on those social media platforms, and I look forward to reading them. But grateful to have this episode to share with you. So let's get into this conversation with Sister Josephine Garrett. Sister Josephine Garrett, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thank you. I've been running around with fourth graders all morning, so I'm <laughs> oh, awake. Mercy. I am uh, awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds like my life, uh, although I don't have a fourth, fourth grader, but running around with kids all day, yeah, I get that very, very, very much <laughs> and understand the importance that that is. Um, so, yeah, welcome. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on. Sure. Um, sister Josephine, I am a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Uh, we're all over the world in 12 countries, a thousand of us all over the wow. world. Um, I happen to be in Tyler, Texas, where we have a mm-hmm. hospital ministry, a really huge hospital ministry in conjunction with the Christus uh, Health System. Uh, That's a beautiful ministry for us. We have sisters serving as chaplains, um, as mission educators, as nurses. Um, But I actually work for the diocese and the cathedral grade school uh, because I'm a counselor. I'm a clinician. uh, Also, like you. There we go. Counselors, (laughs) professional counselors. There we go. Shout out, baby. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Um, So I've had the really cool opportunity of developing a. a counseling program kind of slash formation program at our grade school. And then I also serve in private wow. practice and uh, love the specialty of trauma. So it's a little bit about me. Oh, and the uh, last thing is I got this <laughs> ring because I made my final vows in um, November of last year. So that's it. Oh, uh, congratulations. Thank that's you. awesome. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, yeah. What, what's the what's the single lady song? You know, if uh, I cannot stop come on, doing that, come, and I've done it. Come on, most- you got to put a ring on it. You should have put a ring on it. Jesus, put a ring. Put your hands up. But now I do not put my hands up because not anymore. <laughs> single, not anymore. Um, but I have done that in the most inappropriate settings. I was um, giving a presentation to like hospital executives, and I literally did yeah. the hand wave that Beyonce does. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. <laughs> It's like one part of my mind is like, put your hand down. And the, <laughs> and the other part of my mind is like, I will not put my uh, hand down. Yeah. Uh, what's the line? Come on. If you, if you think, if you if love you, me, you should have put a ring on it. If you should have put a ring on it. That's it. Yeah. If you like it, then you should put a ring on it. That's it. Thank you. Come on, Mario. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Queen B. Getting a shout out on, on, on the Always Hope podcast. Not that she'll probably ever listen to it but that's okay you know like <laughs> but we, we were praying for her nonetheless <laughs> we're praying for god bless her you know and pray for all of our celebrities and such so well wonderful congratulations on all the great things that that you got going on in your life making your final vow that's huge yeah uh getting your council degree and you shared with me before we started here that you're very close to getting your license also um so just just doing the good work that god has called you to uh, which is just awesome. So, you. you know, really today, I just want to talk about vocational discernment and okay. the various aspects that that play into that. Um, I'd love to hear more about your own journey. Um, I'd be happy to share some more of, of myself in terms of my own marriage. But then I also like to just get into a little bit of um, both of us as counselors who have some involvement in vocational work. I know that you said that you serve on your community's team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not the vocations director, but you do serve on the team and and help to some degree in terms of young women who are considering uh, the community. Um, myself, as I've worked at um, Notre Dame Seminary, uh, St. Joseph Seminary College, I work for IP, I've worked I work for IPF. I teach in the summers mm-hmm. for the Institute of Priestly Formation, as well as. Because of my training as a marriage counselor, I've done lots of marriage preparation and, and dating advice. And so this question of like, what does God want from me in my life? Like has been a big, big question that comes up often. Um, and uh, and so there's, there's you know, aspects of it that are, of course, prayerful, uh, things that you've talked about in your OSV talk, which we'll, we'll get into as well. But then there are aspects of this of like, well, where am I in my own mental health and in, mm. in emotional health? And am I, am I healthy enough to really kind of move forward uh, with a discernment? Mm. And uh, and how do I know when I should be uh, moving forward and be healthy enough? Because I think that's the question that comes up more often than not, which is like, you know, like dating, it's like, well, you got to be, I, I got to be good enough to start dating. Well, I mean, like, well, you don't have to be perfect, but you, you got to have a certain bar. Yeah. It's a balance. It's a, it's balance. a balance. And so trying to figure out kind of what that balance looks like, both with, with dating and then, and then with discerning of vocation, obviously in a community or in a seminary, there are some markers, the seminary, the community has some, some, some baseline, mm-hmm. you know, there's some conversation. So we're just going to get into all of that. Okay. Um, but, but, but before, you know, just tell me a little bit about your journey, uh, your own vocational story, um, how you got to where you are sure. and, uh, and, 
Yeah. Okay. But don't take the whole hour, right? Like I'm teasing you. <laughs> I will not take the whole hour. Um, so, I'll cut you off. Don't you worry about it. You know, you. I can edit also. So, so don't you worry. We're good. I assertive type counselors. Okay. So um, I am a Texan. I love being a Texan. I grew uh-huh. up in Houston. All and right. I was raised Baptist um, and mm-hmm. mostly raised. Like my aunt and uncle adopted me when I was eight, me and my brothers when I was eight years old. Uh, but before that, we were Baptist. After that, we were Baptist. But after we were adopted, we went to church a whole lot more. Like it was just mm-hmm. like a super central part of our life. And so I grew up close to the church. I like, I don't like, I love kind of how a relationship with Jesus was fostered in me growing up the way we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for that. You know, I always express gratitude to my aunt and uncle for that. Um for just kind of how they raised us in, in faith. And so when I was 18 years old, I'm just raised by really practical, laid back people. So I was like, what should I be when I grow up? Where should I go to college? And they were like, girl, just go to college. We don't care. Like, just, just go. <laughs> um, so it wasn't like it has to be this kind of college or that kind of college or this kind of uh, major. They were like, just go to college um, mm-hmm. and go somewhere that will be good for you. And so I found a pamphlet and it said University of Dallas, the school for independent thinkers. And being an 18 year old, I was like, I would love to be an independent thinker. That sounds cool. Um, I did not know that University of Dallas was Catholic. Um, Mm -hmm. Even upon enrollment, I still did not understand that that admissions counselor was super slick, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> making that not very apparent to me because um, <laughs> he knew he knew I wasn't Catholic and so once I enrolled I was like it's different here definitely different here um, but yeah. I had chosen it because I liked the people I liked that it wasn't huge uh, the people they just seemed very nice to me my family felt the same way they were like this place is mm. strange but these are good people and they felt like it would be good for me to be there um And so I stayed at UD and I will joke with people and say it obviously had a huge impression on me. Um, (laughs) The biggest thing as far as conversion was um, getting to live in Rome for half a year and encountering very often Pope St. John Paul II. I just saw him as a phenomenal preacher is how I saw him. And I just was like, this man is talking about God um, in a way that resonates really deeply with me. Um, so I just wanted to see him all the time. Like people would be like, we're going to go see this. And I'm like, I'm going to go see that, that old guy. And because I didn't understand any of it. I was like, I don't know why they're swinging all this awesome. smoke around. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I know I love it when he decides to speak in English. <laughs> just love it. Yeah. And so I would listen to him as often as I could. And when I came back yeah. from living in Rome, I joined a Latin liturgical choir and we would sing the mass very often. And this is how I learned the mass. She would make us translate mm. what we were singing. And so I learned the parts of the mass this way and really started to be catechized through learning what this music was saying. Um, wow. uh, in college, I, you know, I was a pretty big party girl. And so when I graduated, I continued being that way. And uh, at one point after graduating, I, a couple years after, I thought, you know, I really want, I know that I want to be like the women who raised me. Like, I know I want to be a woman who is 
very rooted in my faith and like living that way. Um, mm-hmm. It just became apparent to me. So I was like, I need to go to church. But at that point, I missed the mass. I missed the mass very much after having been to so many masses. Yeah. And so it, right. becoming Catholic was born in, in those circumstances. Um, and That's amazing. Yeah, I was in banking already at the time. And there was this sister I would help wow. with her ministry accounts. Uh, there was, it would take a long time uh-huh. to help her. And we would always chat <laughs> while I helped her with her accounts. And one day she said, you know, you seem to know a lot about the church. I said, well, I explained to her I went to UD and I sang in this yeah. choir and it helped me to know a lot about her world. And she said, why aren't you Catholic? Because I can tell you love it. And I told her, y'all don't have enough black people in the church. Okay. I was like, everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I'm the only black person except church. And you're not going to take church away from me, you little old nun. <laughs> get somewhere (laughs) i was very direct with her that's awesome very honest and real answer for sure for sure absolutely Uh, because i don't live in louisiana like you okay black people here are (laughs) okay yep so this is this is the only place where i Honestly, where I see black Catholics, right. I hate to say it that way. In number, yeah, but, you know, in number. And so, in number, in my number, apologies. Yeah. yeah, that's the right way of saying it. In number. Yeah. And so um, she wrote a note, a number down on a post-it note, and she said, if you ever change your mind, call this number and she'll help you out. Um, so I eventually wow. did call that number. It was an RCIA director at the parish close to the bank. And God is so great because she was a black woman. And so- there you go. God, look at that. He knows. He like- knows. Come on. He knows. <laughs> yeah. So it's she's awesome. a beautiful, beautiful woman. Very helpful to me. Mm. So that's how I became Catholic. Um, that's how I became mm-hmm. Catholic. So I'll pause there before going into how okay. I ended up in this habit. <laughs> well, I mean, I think just right there, and I appreciate that, you know, in terms of just the question of discernment is is a beautiful one about journey. It's a question of allowing ourselves to be led by God. And to some degree, you know, that requires planning, um, but that also requires a, 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 an, a, an openness yes. to whatever that plan is. And and I love the the approach that you took in terms of just a pragmatic, like you said, your family was like, just go to college, wherever, close, whatever it is, you know, just get money and whatever you can do, just do it. Don't worry. Don't get too caught up on those things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been my approach. Also, God has always worked from in my life very pragmatically. Um, I think that, and, and I may take it to an extreme. I think the first day I went even, I went to Florida State University for my undergraduate. And I think the first day I saw FSU was the day my parents dropped me off. It was like, oh, it's just, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. 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 It's great. <laughs> Sounds good. Why not? And, uh, and that's always been kind of the way it works is, is, is the, and, and for me, there's been real limitations in that, which has been frustrated. Sometimes I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall, mm. but trusting that God is guiding, you know, through all of that. And so the story that you just shared was really beautiful. It's like, you went to UD, uh, and then and then you just allowed, like nobody pressured you to become Catholic even while you were Never. there. Like it just no. allowed the beauty of the experience to to unfold and to the journey just to kind of take whatever it needed to take. Um, and and then in the long run, you know, obviously that that's that's where you came. Mm-hmm. And even the whatever objections that we kind of make, it's like, well, you know, like everything's great, except, you know, there aren't enough black people in your church, like <laughs> that God would even use that, would even answer that objection through the RCA director, yeah. who is a, a beautiful African-American woman mm-hmm. to give you 
confidence to be like, well, I can do this mm-hmm. and this, this can work. And even that objection isn't, isn't even there. And so just, but it's a real objection. It's not something that we should discredit. You mm. know, those objections are, are part of our personality or part of who we are. And so we all have that. And I think sometimes we feel guilty because we set up and it's like, no, no. Like if you do have some question, like saying you're dating somebody and there's something that comes up, it's okay to, to raise that concern but allow God to bring an answer to mm. that. Like it may be significant of no, of an objection that it means no, or it may be like God saying, "Well, hold on. Like I hear what you're saying. Just give me time, mm. and we'll, we'll we'll bring about some some clarity or some understanding to that." Um, and so it's just a beautiful, beautiful process. Thank you for sharing. Just, sure. just the, the beginning of your journey. There. As I was listening to you, like two thoughts uh, or reflections came up for me about discernment. Um, And one is like allowing for that space in between our objection, our inquiry, our concern and the answer or the resolution. We're just not super good with that, especially in discernment. Mm -hmm. Like we just um, it gets hard. Um, It can be anxiety provoking to sit with unanswered questions and to sit with things that are ambiguous. But I think discernment um, has a lot of that, has a lot of like, you know, letting things unfold um, and things that don't need to be answered right now, leaving them like that (laughs) or or letting some time pass. Um, But the other thing you- But that's a question of of confidence. I'm sorry. That's a question of trust and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and believing that that ambiguity will get clarity. It will. And that's hard. That's just, that's just, that's just hard. And that's hard in our day and age where everything has a quick fix. You know, we, we're, we don't, we don't even have a a habit for, for ambiguity. You know, we don't even have the, the capacities anymore uh, because everything has to be quick, clear cut and and clean and quick. And so high speed uh, internet, right? High speed internet. You You better not have my Amazon account not working. What? I can't get prime. (laughs) Exactly. You said it comes today. It better, it better be, if it coming tomorrow, you know, if it's coming tomorrow, I'm at, I'm I'm upset. You know, like I'm it's kind of exactly. I am on the customer <laughs> service, and I want to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's we, exactly right. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. The other thing, somebody's I, head's gonna roll. Somebody's yeah, head's gonna roll. Go um, so we have the ambiguity is a struggle for us. Like you said, like being okay that there is something here that isn't what it should be, and at the same time knowing that it may take time for all things to work together you know, for, for good. And so, um, but the second thing that came to mind as I was listening to you was, um, it, cause sometimes I've noticed this in working with women in discernment. Cause when people will hear, cause again, I think it comes from who raised me. Like I'll, as I get older, I realize how much of my aunt and uncle I carry in me. And, um, <laughs> they just have this wonderful simplicity in them. And so it never occurred to me to like, shop around for a bunch of religious orders or to feel like I had to <laughs> yes, discern yes, all yes. Of the things. It never yes. occurred to me. And if that, I mean, I don't know, like my family's not like that. And so sometimes we think that like what we're called to is hiding from us. Um, but as you were talking about, like it unfolding in the life, like God and our original relationship with God, like he didn't hide from us. We hid from him. And he came looking for us in the garden. So like God has never hidden himself in that sense. Like he's been 
constantly revealing, like all through salvation history, all through scripture, we see this like ongoing desire to reveal. And so it's not going to be this hide and seek game (laughs) or this like where we have to, um, yeah, I'm not sure, play games in a sense. It's, um, it will, everything is unfolding um, in in great simplicity. Yeah, I think. Amen. Right. I mean, I think religious vocations before it used to just be, well, who was at your parish or who was, who was around? And, and you kind of like, oh, that guy kind of lived a nice life or the parish priest was nice. And, you know, I can see myself doing that. And, mm. and that was it. And so this is the place where we may suffer a little bit from having too much information yeah. and, and, and the, the paralysis of analysis, mm. you know, that, that when we have too many, too many choices, um, it makes it really difficult for us to, to say, well, what, which one is the one that God, and then you try to add that question. It's like, well, which one do I want? Which one does God want for me? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. And then it's like, is this a game? Is it a game? That's kind of what you said. It kind of feels like a game, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that we have to play this hide and seek. What a beautiful way of saying that, that we have to go like figure out like, what is it that God wants for me? And what do I want? And what am I supposed to do? Like all these questions are so overwhelming that sometimes like we have to be sensitive to then like if if our anxiety is being provoked by it then then maybe it's not so much that we have to have the answer right away mm. but we have to be able to as we said trust the trust the ambiguity trust the process it's a counseling term trust the process trust the process <laughs> how many times how many times did you hear that in your program you know like just trust the process yeah i just the process yeah i think that's a the, trust the process those three words are like a trigger for me <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to trust the process. <laughs> I want to trust the process. I want the process done. Done. I want. I want it done. I want the answer. I, I want clarity. I want to know what I'm doing. Yeah. But this is the mistake: is that, and I think you you said this in your OSV talk, which I really liked about looking at the sermon as not something that's separate from our life, but rather is just a part of our life. And I think some of it is um, that that's some of what I think we we've lost. That we think that like discernment, it's like this, people have been asking this question, you know, it's like, is marriage an achievement? Mm. Do, do, have, have, have I, is it a goal that I need to succeed and, and to get? And it's like, well, I wouldn't look at it as that. It's, it's more like if, if I'm learning how God speaks to me through prayer, through conversation, through community, and I'm understanding the process of how God reveals himself to me perfect, you know, as, as, at, at an individual level, because we certainly have divine revelation in, in the corporate sense, um, in terms of scripture and traditions of the church. But at the individual level, God wants to reveal himself to me also. And so if the process of prayer and dialogue and community is trying to understand how God reveals himself to me, then discerning the big questions of life, what's my vocation, what's my job, what's my career, who am I going to marry, the big questions, what community am I going to join, what diocese, the, the, like that question of, of understanding that, um, while certainly it's it's the big discernment, but it also sets up all the other discernments that will continue in your life afterwards. Yes. And I say this like with marriage specifically, obviously as a married man, this is my 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 kind of disposition here, but it but it can play out certainly religious life or in, in, in celibacy as well. But when you think about marriage, it's like, okay, well, like when we have to discern how many, when we're going to start having kids and how many kids we're going to have and are we going to make a career change and is somebody going to get their master's degree or somebody not? Are we going to have to move a house and what house? And and so this process of discerning and Lord, like what is my desire? When are you giving me the green light to just kind of push, 
push ahead and punch it forward and do what I want and trust that it's what you're asking, where you're asking me to to step back and to wait and to trust and and to let the ambiguity kind of sort itself out. I mean, all all of this process that we've been speaking about doesn't just end because you got the ring on it. You know, this hand, I got my ring on this hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you just get the ring and then it's like, okay, that's smooth sailing from here on mm-hmm. out. It's like, no, no, everything that you learned to get the ring on it is is a process of your life, life that yes, it, to life. live the life yes. that's going to set itself up over the course of the totality of your life. Because like there's the still ach- more discernments that need to happen. Because the achievement isn't the vocation. The achievement is heaven. Like the achievement is right. heaven. Yeah. So that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> All right. Wow, beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So tell me, how'd you become a sister then? How'd you be banking? Sister, and, yeah. Before and, it- and then now it. Huh? I love banging no, in tears. Ahead. I left it in tears because my little title had become the center of my identity unbeknownst to me. <laughs> so I left mm. it wailing <laughs> and it was fully dramatic, but it's fine now. But if you're out there listening and that's you, no, you're not alone. You are my people. Um, <laughs> but uh, before I go on to the vacation, I wanted to share, like, again, it just came Please. from... What you're saying this morning, what I, um, what we were doing with fourth grade, we were concluding a series of lessons on virtuous friendship. And wow. the children, I mean, they really just set my, my mama heart on fire um, as we were processing the activity because they mm-hmm. were so deeply insightful. And it was just, just a really touching thing. And I feel called to share it, particularly on the topic of you were talking about discernment as an ongoing part of daily life before we enter into that that vocation, that main vocation, and after. Um, mm-hmm. And so in the conclusion on those series of lessons on friendship, it talks about virtuous friendship, types of friendship, uh, friendships that are simply practical, um, fun friendships, and then virtuous, mm-hmm. like that we were aiming for virtuous. And it talks about friendship, that communion of persons being a way that we image God. So it's a theology of the body curriculum, but for littles. Right. Um, and That's so the, the love in the Trinity is seen in our love when we are in virtuous friendships. And that's being mm-hmm. for another. So it teaches them that mm-hmm. love is to will the good of the other. And so it concludes with as our ultimate friendship is friendship with Jesus. And all of these things are ways to hear Jesus in our life um, yeah. so that we can get to heaven. And so the activity is um, the activity is, it's crazy, it's insane, and it looks like chaos, but they really got it. So there's a child yeah. who's blindfolded and they're the pilgrim. And there's someone who plays Jesus, and Jesus has to use his voice to guide the pilgrim through the obstacle course that I've created on the playground for them. Wow. And their teacher is the destination, heaven, And the guardian (laughs) angel is holding their arm, but cannot speak to them. So they don't like bust their face on the playground. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And all of the other classmates are the voices of the world, the voices of the world. And so gossip, distractions, temptations, drama in fourth grade, they got a lot of drama. And so they start this and the voices of the world are spot on. They're screaming at the pilgrim. No one likes you. No one loves you. You're never going to make it. You may as well take the blindfold off and give up. The kids were coming up with this on their own. Some kids said, sister, I don't want to be a voice of the world. Can I go stand over there 
in heaven and be an angel, like waiting for her to get here. And I said, yeah, you can go do that. Um, yeah. And when we finished, one child said, you know what? All the voices of the world were really those three main ways we experienced temptation, right? Pride of life, wow. the flesh, right? Yeah. Another yeah, child, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another child mm-hmm. said, um, um, who was the pilgrim? She said, there were points where I wanted to cry, where I felt like I was going to die. Because I had them climb up mm. on something and they needed to come down the slide. And she wasn't quite sure if the slide was there. And she was like, I was like, I'm wow. going to die. Right. <laughs> and then one young woman said, you know, sometimes we think the goal is the voices of the world. But really, the goal for everyone is always to get to heaven. Um, yeah. So it was just really wow, what a powerful. That's so powerful. <laughs> My gosh, that's awesome. Beautiful morning. That's great. Beautiful morning. with them, Yeah. That- you know? That, that makes me think of a not necessarily traumatic, but a but a negative memory of my childhood, mm-hmm. where when we were like around that age, fourth grade, because I was living in Chicago at the time. I remember me and a group of buddies during recess. We had the brilliant idea of playing Marco Polo, um, but not not in the pool. Uh, so, <laughs> so we played Marco Polo on the playground, and uh, and that you, it's really hard to navigate. It's really hard to and you know to to navigate and walk around the playground with your eyes closed. And uh, so we were playing Marco Polo, trying to chase each other, and uh, uh, I gashed my head against the, the fence because <laughs> because you nobody told me angel. to stop. <laughs> I didn't have a guardian angel. <laughs> so I, and so now as I look back at it as an adult, I'm like, were they even playing the game, or were they just was now? Now I'm like, maybe they were just making fun of me. Oh. Like, <laughs> It's like, maybe I was the only fool who actually played Marco Polo, so whatever. It's all good. But, <laughs> but um, you're right. You know, you have to. You got to have the guardian angel to guide you and to hear the voice of Jesus mm-hmm. and what a very concrete way of being able to say, again, what we're experiencing, what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and it's not even that the voices of the world are – again, they're not all bad. It, right. You, know, you talked about being a banker. I mean, being a banker is a great profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of helping people – with their finances and uh, and and uh, what a gift that that is offered to the world, um, and I think sometimes for me, I will say my own experience and what I've seen in others as well. The hardest part isn't isn't uh, choosing between a negative and a bad. It's always it, and this is again principle of the sermon. It's always between two goods, mm-hmm. and it's always between saying, okay, well, what's the what's the greater good. And that's what that's what gets challenging. Is like, well, what's the greatest good that God's calling me to do? What's the greater good? And sometimes that might be that might be more difficult to answer. Um, and but again, you know, trusting your own desires, trusting ambiguity, trusting well, not trusting ambiguity, trusting that God will provide in the midst of the ambiguity mm-hmm. that He'll He'll lead you where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that may require some sacrifice. And so, as you said, you know, giving up being a banker was hard. And uh, um, but yeah. what do you think about decision, you know, now, however many years later? I wouldn't change it. And I can assure you <laughs> nothing that was gained in that time, like all the different skills that I learned, um, is not been wasted. Not an ounce yeah, of it bet. was wasted. And so um, I, I literally have, and this is just me, I know other people might feel different, but I literally have no regrets about leaving banking Mm -hmm. but like you said Mm -hmm. banking was good and gave me a lot of gifts and taught me skills that um there are skills that more people in ministry in the church could probably use you know uh and so yes (laughs) uh, 
even more so. Those <laughs> a little fiscal responsibility. Maybe that, oh. that'll be your next project. <laughs> there you go. Oh, like, how do we read a ballot statement? You know, how do I look at a ballot statement and know we're about to head off a cliff as a ministry? <laughs> it's like, um, so yeah, um, yes. They're very useful skills in the church. But to come back to your question, like, how did how did I come to discern the vocation of a religious sister? Um, I had been Catholic for about four years and then was really um, growing in the bank. So I started getting promoted really quickly, um, was a huge workaholic, like just struggled with working <laughs> too much. Um bad habits were becoming worse habits, like in the midst of all that stress and pressure. Um, and I eventually changed jobs. So I was an operations manager for um, a few years and had like a staff of 200. And that was wow. intense, um, intense ministry. Um, but again, like I just learned so much. I had a great mentor who was so good at managing people. And he taught me so much and their skills I still use today. Like I do. I yeah. When I am greeting our families and our kids, when they're coming in the door, I'm doing a lot of what he taught me. He would make me walk his mm. floor with him and he would teach me mm-hmm. how to encourage employees and be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing that and <clears throat> realizing I was burning out a lot. And so transitioned to from operations manager to being a project manager. I don't know if you remember when Obama came out with the making home affordable, uh, mm-hmm. the, where everyone's yep. loans had to be adjusted all of a sudden out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot right. for a home loans division. And so that was my project. Like, how are we going to do wow. making home affordable at Bank of America? Um, so that was, a, it was right. a huge project, but it still wasn't as stressful as running a floor, like running an, op- an operations floor. And so... Right. I got a little space. You're not dealing. You're not dealing with people no, anymore. Yeah, it's the you're process. Not, you're not managing people. Not two hundred yeah. of them. Like a little small. Team, yeah, not two hundred of them. Mm-hmm. So it's a, right, it's right, a right. yeah, it's a different, it's a different kind of stress. Um, but this, so that created some space, like a little bit of space. And what I, what was I going to do with it? And so I got an invitation to go back to Rome uh, with that mm-hmm. choir from college. She was taking alumni to, to Rome and she was like, we're just going to go sing at churches. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and so mm. it was the day after Christmas and looking back now, Mario, like just thinking about it right now, I realized that I think the devil tried to make me miss that trip. I got in a really bad wow. car wreck on Christmas day. I mean, it was bad, like spinning on an interstate in circles. And, um, I was fine and the car was not as fine, <laughs> but I got the Mercy. car towed back home. And I remember setting in my mind that like, I'm going to get this car where it needs to be. I'm going to get a rental and I am not going to not go on the strip. Like I can deal mm-hmm. with this car when I get back. Um, mm-hmm. But looking back, I can't believe I did that. Like you think a wreck like that would cause you to not go. Um, yeah, of course. Most people did not go, but I, my mind was super fixed. Um, so I did. I went and I had a confession at St. Peter's that it, it did change my life. Um, and so I was with friends and we were like, we want to get up early and go to St. Peter's and just like have a day of like prayer 
and pilgrimage. And so we went there and I was able to be there as a Catholic, which is my first time to be there as a Catholic. So I went to confession, I went to mass. And in that confession, I was confessing to the priest. um, And again, I don't want to commit heresy. And so I'll just tell you what I was confessing. Some people would maybe say these weren't a sins, but for me, it was sinful. Okay. So I was like, I need to speak to Jesus about it because it felt like a sin to me. And I was confessing all of my omission to follow what I knew was my, like my right conscience, like all the things in my conscience that I was being troubled in my conscience to do. And I wasn't doing. So like I knew full well, there were things that I needed to do and change and I was taking no steps and it was troubling my conscience. And so I knew it was the Holy Spirit asking this of me and I wasn't doing it um, because I didn't want to. And so I was confessing that and it was all these things like to be a better participant in the life of my parish you know, to, to hmm. serve my parish somehow, to serve in the church in the simple ways, um, to take greater responsibility for growing in my faith, you know, instead of being right. going only on Sundays to Mass and being done with my faith for the rest of the week. All of this had been a troubling in my conscience, and I simply was ignoring it. And so I was hmm. confessing this to the priest, and he just listened. I was crying, and he said at one point, he goes, he said, que bella. And I'm thinking, do you not speak English? It's <laughs> 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 perfect. He could have said oh, anything. <laughs> so he said, que bella. And my tears, mm. you can see he was pointing at my mm. tears and mm. said, que bella. Mm. And mm. then he mm. goes, when I finished, he looked at me and he said, just begin. And then he asked me to make my act of con- contrition. Um, and so I came back from that trip and I didn't understand what was going on in my heart. I knew it was different. Like I knew there was some kind of shift. And since I didn't know what I was doing in the spiritual life, I, I just didn't know. I looked for a spiritual director to help me with whatever had happened. Um, and so that spiritual director helped me to learn more about prayer. And one day he said, uh, he asked me what my greatest hope was. And mm. I looked at him and again, remember who raised me? We were not people who sat around talking about big dreams. Okay. It was like, you go yeah. to work and you do, you know, you do what you got to do. So I looked at him and I was like, I don't understand the question. <laughs> so, what's your greatest wow. hope? And I was like, I started talking about like practical type of things. Well, I want to get to a certain level in my career. I want to buy this kind mm-hmm. of house. And um, he's like, I'm talking more about like what God made you for. And I just mm. cried. I couldn't, cause I couldn't, I just couldn't answer it. Um, and so I knew something was wrong in that. And so it just, brought me to tears. And so he encouraged me to talk to God about what he made me for. That's how he said it. And so I talked a lot for a long time. (laughs) And then eventually listened a little bit, right? Um, And so I'm back and forth with my spiritual director with all of this. And he was encouraging me. He was realizing I was talking too much, encouraging me to listen more. And then one day, I was sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament. 
I was helping to chaperone a retreat for my parish for youth, you know, which is something I never would have sacrificed a Saturday to do before then. You know, I wanted to Netflix on Saturdays. Saturdays was Mm -hmm. for Netflix, okay? And so I was looking around at these kids in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and I realized I was glad to be there. I wasn't a martyr for being there. It was where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so I started praying before the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this desire to want to be here. You know, it was just a very simple prayer. And then I thought it would be so cool to be a sister and serve the church. And I never thought it before. And I, you know, I know, you know, I didn't grow up Catholic. So we didn't, you know, I think I wasn't five years old. Like, oh, I'd love to be a nun. No, nuns weren't even on my, on my radar. Um, And so for me, a thought like that was super shocking. Um, Very frightening. I actually ended up like walking out of the conference center because I'm like, Jesus won't be in the parking lot, will he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> took a break in the parking <laughs> lot. Um, went back to my spiritual director because I couldn't stop. Once I had that thought, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So it was really, it was pretty frightening. Um, I got a therapist and I went to my, I went to the therapist and he was like, what are you here for? I was like, I can't stop thinking about being a nun. Uh, <laughs> so surely I should stop for treatment. Clearly there's something wrong with me because I, I can't, I can't get this thought out of my mind. <laughs> Help me. Fix it, counselor. Fix, Fix it. Right? Fix it. <laughs> So um, my spiritual director was good. You know, he said it was very helpful to me that he said, you know, if if you are called to be a sister, um, it won't be tomorrow. It won't be tomorrow. And that was super helpful uh, insight for me to help me kind of take worry about the next right thing and not the next thing way, way out there. Uh, so in the middle of all that, I had a friend I had not told anyone except the counselor and the spiritual director about these thoughts. Um, but I had a friend who was visiting the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth, and she wanted to enter, and she wanted a wingman. And so I was like, I'll go as your wingman. <laughs> and, uh, wingman for... <laughs> so funny <laughs> for a come and see weekend <laughs> like, I was her come and see wingman <laughs> so she um, I ended up being her maid of honor at her wedding and so I am now a sister oh, of the holy funny. family of Nazareth so, um, so this is this is the example of when uh, when a wingman takes your buddy's girl is that what we're doing here like like she's more attracted to you than, than, than she is to the guy himself is that is that what happened here <laughs> i mean i would like to think that but abigail is such a better woman than i am so. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Mari, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Sister Josephine to encourage you to check us out at faithandmarriage.org. I have some awesome blog posts that I put up there recently to one that expands a little bit more on, on this conversation with regards to sermon, offering some more practical principles and steps there for you to be able to learn more about how to discern in a daily context, as well as 
recent reflections on some of these great Marvel shows that are coming out. I have some thoughts on, on WandaVision, some thoughts on Falcon and Winter Soldier. You can check all of those things out as well as my previous blog posts on faithandmarriage.org. So you went as a wingman, went on the come and see weekend, and uh, and that was it. And so Abigail now is married, she and uh, and you're a professed, beautiful uh, sister. Thank so. you, thank you. Yeah, so it was two years of visiting the sisters, um, and just kind of discovering like my home among them. Um, and one thing I'll say is that the discernment, the come and see discernment weekend, where I decided to ask for an application. Um, was the most boring come and see weekend that I had ever attended. <laughs> I mean, it was profoundly boring. Um, and it was in that boredom that I realized like this is home, right? Cause I still even bored. I still wanted to be there. And I try to share that with people because I think sometimes our culture is training us to think if it's right, then it's super turned up, you know, and if it's mm -hmm. right, then it's full of a lot of drama. You we hear mm -hmm. that in the music, like the music these little girls listen to. I'm starting to call right. it like there's a, it's like a, it's like a genre of music where it's like, it's love. There are some lyrics I was listening to once and it was like, I want you in my veins. I was like, you don't want nobody in your veins. Like, no, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a little too much drama, sugar, sugar. A little no. too much. Too yes. Much. Yes. Sugar, sugar, no, that is not love. Um, and so, um, I'll often share that, that, the confidence came in really great simplicity and in boredom that, and yeah. So mm -hmm. good night. That's unbelievable. You know, like, it, it, okay. So continuing the theme and I think what I hearing you saying sister is uh, that again, if, if, if prayer and conversation is the, is the, the modus operandi of your life, mm. then even in a boring come and see weekend, like if you're hearing God, then you, you'll still find him mm -hmm. in that space. Yes. Um, and so in that sense, that, it's not boring. Yeah, <laughs> in that sense, it's not boring, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now, maybe now when you're in charge of those come and see weekends, maybe you can make sure they're not as boring because you still don't want them to be. <laughs> 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 hey, you can still have other potential candidates to have a better experience, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that in your experience, God didn't use that, you know, in, <laughs> And it's really, again, it's it, what's what what I'm thinking about again. Just thinking about prayer, you know, we talk about the 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 image that's often used is the one of Elijah in the cave and the still small voice, yes. and you know that God comes in the still small voice. What I think is remarkable about that particular passage is that right before we we see Elijah bringing down, you know the fire and, and killing all the prophets of Jezebel in the prophets of Baal and, and all the priests and, and, and all the false prophets and mm -hmm. killing them all basically. And that's, that happens like a couple chapters right before. And then he flees, you know, and then he's, he's in fears and then he goes to the, the cave and he's waiting and that's what the angel tells him to do. And then in the cave, you know, these other great calamities happen again. It's the big, the earthquake, the fire, uh, you know, the, the, the strong wind, but it's in the still small voice that he hears God's voice. But for me, what it's remarkable about it is that he, God could have come 
in the earthquake, God could have revealed himself mm-hmm. in the fire. God has revealed, God, throughout the Old Testament, in pillar of fire, even the Exodus and in, in raising, you know, God's of, of the, the water splitting the Red Sea. God is, God has shown that he can certainly come in those great, you know, natural experiences mm-hmm. um, or, you know, calamities of nature, whatever we want to say or whatever the right expression mm-hmm. is there. But in that particular moment, it's because Elijah had relationship with God that he knew in those moments it wasn't him, but that he was very present in the in the still small voice. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, as we're talking about discernment being God revealing himself to us, discernment is about how God reveals his particular love for us. Um, that's what we're seeing. And even in a boring come and see weekend, uh, God can reveal himself. And when you see it, you're like, Okay, it doesn't matter if this is boring. Mm. What matters is that I feel like I'm at home and that I feel connected and grounded in a way in this community that I hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's a harder thing to quantify. You know, it's like when people ask you, how do you know when you found the one? Well, it's like you just kind of know. And 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 when you and, when, and that drives that drives single people nuts. You know, that drives people who are dating nuts because because they haven't had that experience yet. And I get why. I get why it's frustrating why that's the answer um, because it seems too simple um, and it, and you can't, you can't quantify it. You can't like, it's not an algorithm. You can't mm. say, well, if these five things happen, then you know, you know, but it's like, it's, it's a question of experience. And it's a question of interiority of being open uh, to what the Lord is calling and inviting us to. Um, and so we, we see that and we experience that Um and it is. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story like mm-hmm. you shared. And I think as I was listening to you, again, it may be heresy because it just came to my mind as I was listening to you. Like when we look at the cross, like we can't make sense of that. You know, that mm-hmm. that's it, it's not it's not something that's going to fit, like you said, into an algorithm. I know sometimes people will use that phrase. The economy of salvation is not an economy mm-hmm. that we can figure mm-hmm. out. Um, and so, right. um, I see like a similarity in that, that I don't know if it's something that's supposed to be so, um, you know, cause we love those articles, three tips to data seven, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> this is not going to be that. Um, that's, that was the title of this episode. What do you, you just oh, messed I me up. I was, I'm, I'm just, I'm totally messing. I'm totally messing. I was legitimately <laughs> trying to slay your title. No, <laughs> <laughs> like when you're talking about Elijah, uh, that mountain, I've read it somewhere once. It was probably like in footnotes of scripture, you know, like I'll have the footnotes or, and I have a Didache mm-hmm. Bible. So it was maybe I was using a Didache Bible, which I love those Bibles. Um, but I read at some point that that mountain where he was, was called the Mount. Like it was, it was, would have been the Mount of the Covenant. It would have been the mountain of the covenant. And so and that begs, like, begs the question, does he know where he was going back to? Like, was he going back mm. to the source of the covenant? Like that covenant relationship wow. and those covenantal promises um, to find God in that like original encounter of covenant. Um, and so I think it's important with discernment, too, that we know those touchstones. Um, that when we start to feel lost and start to feel scattered, um, and just kind of feel out of control that we have those things, those touch points to go back to, to kind of remember who we're dealing with, um, hmm. 
like remember what this is about. Um, Cause whenever now I hear that story, I remember that, that he was returning to a very important place that would have reminded yeah. him not only, not only have made a place for him to hear God, right? Like the kids this morning trying to hear Jesus's voice, but it also would have been a place to like remind him how, you know? Um, well, in your experience, it's the reason why you went back to Rome even yes. 24 hours, less than 24 hours after getting into a severe car accident. Right. I mean, it, it's, I mm-hmm. mean, there was a, there was a draw inside of you to go back to a place that you felt that connection with, mm-hmm. uh, that you could hear God's voice and, and, and reestablish, uh, that relationship. And, uh, and, and, and we need that. Mm-hmm. We need that because, because it, he is an invisible God and he knows that it's tough, um, yeah. but he does reveal himself in particular places. Um, and so the ways he's revealed himself to us, we need to honor that mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and seek those things. Um, so Let's uh, let's put our counseling hats on for for the rest of this interview, can we? <laughs> okay, is that sure. Right? Yeah. Let, let's let's shift gears here a little bit, because the question that does come up often, it's kind of started it with at the beginning, is is really I think this is the question of the episode: is am I emotionally healthy enough to discern a vocation? Um, am I am I? How do I know when I'm ready personally? How do I know when I have enough of my baggage dealt with? Um, or, or is that just going to be something that I have to deal with along the way and, and let the healing happen as I take the steps forward? Um, what do you think about that? You know, like, you, you know, in your own life, you've walked with a lot of people, you know, and probably have asked these questions. Young people have asked these questions. What are just some general thoughts that you have about that um, before we dive into anything specific? Yeah, I think, I do think, and that was, you know, I originally gone to that counselor that I went to, like my, it was my first counselor that I went to when I was like, I can't stop thinking about a nun. And so I'm here, um, or being a Mm -hmm. nun and I'm here, but eventually that turned into helping me to, that eventually turned into helping me to, um, kind of be ready to live in community because you know this as a married man. Um, I know this (laughs) as someone having lived in community. These vocations, they simply turn up the volume on what is. And so they will turn up the volume on your giftedness and what is, you know, wonderful. And they, they will also turn up the volume on our struggles and our character defects. And so it just is more charge because, um, and so that initial counseling was really helpful for getting me in a place where I was more able to kind of do relationship, you know, to do some Mm -hmm. of it. And in order Mm -hmm. to do relationship, there has to be some sense of safety, not perfect safety, but like some sense of safety to be able to do the daily ins and outs of relationship, the communication, the um, working through conflicts, the, the trusting one another to get things done, like kind of that simple day-to-day stuff of life. And some of that starts in dating and then in marriage, it you know all that intensifies mm-hmm. that partnership. And so to be able to be present to those relationship dynamics takes a certain sense of safety, not perfect, <laughs> not perfect because right. even we're not even we're not going to make it to perfect in this life um but it, it there needs to be some sense of being able to show up in the relationship 
And so I think that's the tool of therapy before dating, before entering a community for formal discernment is to be able to kind of show up in these relationships and participate in the dynamics. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's a great way of saying it. I mean, in my attachment theorist, I love the concept of safety Mm -hmm. and, and needing enough of a security within yourself so that you can show up, so that you can engage, so that you can give mm-hmm. uh, to the other, because that's what you said. I mean, right from the beginning, that vocation is about is about love, a sincere gift of myself to my bride, to my children, uh, or to my community, mm-hmm. or to my diocese, whatever it is. Um, that you have to have a certain foundation um, that is capable of giving, and what that looks like, we're not entirely sure. But, but there's something there, you know, that you have to kind of do some work on. Um, you know, you talked about with your own experience about um, community life bringing out the best and the worst of you. I mean, it's, it, it's even in, in marriage, like my kids, it, it, it's even worse because they hold up, a, they, I mean, they are a mirror of it, you know, and it's like they're doing something and they're acting a certain way. And it's like, oh. Oh, I know where they got that from, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, I can hear them talking to each other sometimes and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know where they got that dialogue from, you know, Very like, my niece <laughs> wasn't is, my wife, uh, you know, like, my so, niece is super bossy, <laughs> but like, she reminds me of myself and I'm like, love, one night uh, I was asleep yeah, and she yeah. woke me up and she looked at me and she said, milk now. And she pointed at the kitchen oh and gosh. I was like, you are me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't even get mad at her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I have had to heal from that bossiness. <laughs> but you know, okay, like um, I want to offer to listeners because I know sometimes these abstract things can be hard to grapple with. So I, I want to try to offer like sure. some real life examples of um, what it would look like. In like early discernment for me with therapy and without therapy, right? And mm-hmm. it's like a really silly example. It's the first one that comes to mind. Um, but again, like without the therapy, when I encounter the tensions in a relationship, it'll often be hard for me to find a, a sense of enough safety to take my responsibility, take responsibility for my portion. Mm-hmm. And to receive the other person as they take responsibility for their portion, right, in a conflict. And so um, I had put some shrimp in the refrigerator and forgot about it. And it, like, rotted. (laughs) And this was a really, really big house. And it was one of those industrial-sized refrigerators. So the entire thing smelled bad and no one could figure out where it was coming from. And I had forgotten about the shrimp. And so my poor formation director, she was cleaning the refrigerator all morning, trying to eliminate the smell. And then finally, the woman who uh, cooks for that convent, she said, you know, there was some shrimp in the, on that one shelf that the postulants use. Is it, is it that? And so she finds it and it's like rotten and it's the source of the smell and it's my fault. Mm. And um, <laughs> so she calls me and she's like, come clean this. Right. So I'm coming to clean it. And I feel right. I have feelings of embarrassment and guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes when we have those feelings like embarrassment, guilt on the surface, they look like, well, it'll look like anger. Especially mm-hmm. if we don't feel safe enough to feel embarrassed and guilty. And so I walked in the kitchen and I was cleaning it and I had these feelings of embarrassment and guilt, which without therapy, 
I will defend pretty hard for you not to mm-hmm. see those. Um, but mm-hmm. with the safety that can come with therapy, I can show those, you know, I can safely show those and oh, I'm going to be okay. So I'm washing and I'm feeling embarrassed and guilty. And the cook says to me, why did you leave it on the shelf? And keep mm-hmm. in mind, I'm early in treatment, my first therapist. And so I'm still yeah, jumping yeah, yeah. in and out of healthy and unhealthy behaviors pretty often and just like a rapid <laughs> cycle. And so I tell her because I like spoiled shrimp. <laughs> what I tell her, right? Sarcastic, yeah, defensive, sarcasm is a form of anger. Smart alecky. Right. Yeah. It's all mm-hmm. a form of anger, a low mm-hmm. level form of anger. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. She, this woman is cooking for us. And I've just been yeah. rude to her. And um, right. she looks away and just puts her head down. And I realize I need to apologize to her. Um, that is the appropriate behavior in this relationship. The 10 steps from the sink where I was washing the dishes over to her to say I'm sorry felt like a death. <laughs> it felt wow. like a death, you know? And yeah. so, but it was only, it's really because of like, really, I have to say, it was because of therapy that I was even able to stand there and become aware. I just said that to her, not because there's a problem with her, because there's a problem with me. And I need to walk over there and apologize. That's the kind of Mm -hmm. stuff that therapy can offer us to help us like better Mm -hmm. show up in simple ways in our relationships as we're dating and discerning, like as an example. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. What a great example for sure. In terms of just saying like, if you would have blown up and then not done anything about it because you were still defensive and, and embarrassed and guilt, but really it was, I mean, even deeper triggering some of the shame. Boom. Like <laughs> if you're able to, to, to deal with that shame, um, you know, it gives you freedom to be able to then say, you know, this really isn't about, I crossed the line. I got to own up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did mess up, but this messing up isn't the full identity of, of who I am as a person. Yes. It doesn't mean that I'm a failure as an individual. It just means I, forgot and put the shrimp out, you know, in a place that I shouldn't have. And that's all it is. Yeah. So I can apologize. I can own up to it. I can show up to, to this conflict and, and, and move forward with it. Right. I think also in terms of, so that's a great, great example, you know, some terms of baseline. So we go back to this question, like what's, what's healthy enough. Um, I have in front of me the, the program for priestly formation, mm-hmm. um, which is the guiding document that the U S conference bishops uses for uh, the seminary process. Mm-hmm. So from applications uh, to discernment, to uh, to what the seminary steps should look like leading towards uh, the ordination. And so this document is, is the guiding document that all the seminaries use across the country. Um, and it, in, in the process of formation, as we understand it in the seminaries is, is broken up into four different dimensions. Um, there are four aspects that need deliberate attention and formation in. The first is the human dimension, uh, which deals with this, with the emotional relationship component of the individual. The second is the spiritual dimension, which is a man's capacity to to hear God's voice and to really be a man of prayer and a man who who upholds and desires to live um, in, in, in prayer and in communion with the Lord. The third aspect then is intellectual formation and reckon, making sure that this man who's going to be a preacher and, 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 and a teacher in the name of the church, that he needs to know what the theology is of the church. And then the fourth dimension, which is really the capstone, is the pastoral dimension, this, mm-hmm. this man's capacity to be able to assimilate these three dimensions and then give, because the priesthood is all about outward outwardness. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about giving towards the other. 
and and I find that that these four dimensions are ones that that we can in any vocation can really kind of ascribe to and know. Um, and so that's why I'm pulling at this. So so even though it's it, this is written specifically for for priests, I think this these qualities apply to anybody in discernment, because what the document says. Um, and it's what the Church Universal teaches also is that the human formation. This is one of the seconds, one of one of the the gifts of John Paul II, really added this dimension to priestly formation mm. in um, in his landmark landmark document, Pastoris Stabovobis. Um, and uh, and so he said that the human found formation is really the foundation upon which all the other pillars, all the other dimensions, kind of rest upon. Um, and so. Let me read here briefly from the conference, bishops, and this is what they say. They say, this is paragraph 37, if anybody wants to see it. It says, in trying to determine, this is the question that we're asking here, in trying to determine what is sufficient growth or development in these areas of human growth, of emotional growth, seminaries ought to be clear and specific. So for example, sufficient human formation for admission, again, just what's, again, admission. This is the question of what's good enough to get you through the door, mm -hmm. right? What's good enough to get you on the dating scene? What's good enough to get you on the come and see weekend? That's that's the question that's being asked in this particular paragraph, right? Mm -hmm. What is what is enough? Um, is not only an absence of serious pathology, but also a proven capacity to comp competently in ordinary human situations without the need for extensive therapeutic or remedial work to be fully functioning. So it's not just the absence of pathology. Okay, if we're speaking about severe mental illness, you know, schizophrenia, significant trauma, you know if you have these things. You know if you have a significant, if you have OCD or something that that's a real impediment on your life. Um, do the work that's needed to get the healing that's there. Do that is what the church is saying, okay? But it's not just about like, that's not the bar that we're only looking at. We need we need something more. We need the, the ability to be able to show up, like you said. We need to be able to function competently in ordinary human circumstances. Mm -hmm. Can I competently function when I leave the shrimp out accidentally? <laughs> can I competently function, right? When Can I function as an adult, as a, as, a, as a human person, when I make a mistake or when I'm in general interactions? Yeah. This, is, this is exactly what's being asked here. Or is it that I need extensive therapy or remedial work to be fully functioning? Um, and if you need that extensive therapeutic work, do it. There's no problem with it, but do it before you go into the seminary. You know, do it before you enter into the community or do it early on as part of those early years of, of formation. Mm -hmm. What's also required then in terms of a baseline, <laughs> the paragraph continues, is a psychosexual maturity commiserate with chronological age. Again, what we expect of somebody at 21 is going to be different than what we expect of somebody enter seminary at 45. Mm -hmm. We hope that there's a difference that's there. Um, so we need that. Um, a genuine empathy that enables the applicant to connect well and personally with others, a capacity for growth and conversion, and a deep desire to be a man in the image and likeness of others. So what are we saying here? We're saying that we need like the basic capacities of, of human interaction, a healthy psychosexual maturity, the capacity to be able to have empathy for another human person, and a deep desire that's there for your desire to, to for deep desire to be like Christ. Mm. I think this is a good, good kind of uh, uh, checklist that, that we can kind of ask. Am I healthy enough to genuinely be empathetic uh, when my girlfriend um, is having a bad day, right? Or, 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 or can I not even have empathy for her? Am I, am I just angry about every little thing that she does? Am I too nitpicky when it comes to, to people and to circumstances? Or if she's having a bad day and doesn't want to do the thing I want her to do, 
am I showing empathy to that or am I frustrated with her because she doesn't do what I want to do? Right. So am I being That's for exactly her right. That's or exactly with right. her? Yeah. And, and so the, the challenge with any of these is, is well, what's, what's sufficient? What's the baseline? Because sometimes your deficiencies don't manifest until you're actually in a relationship. Yeah. You know? Like it's like, <laughs> you know, it's you true. don't know that you're going to be triggered until, until you're actually engaged with it. But, but there has, there's a, I guess what we're saying, there's a little bit of a, if, if you're seeing a pattern that de- develops that every time I go on a date with somebody, I'm nitpicking about the way that she's holding her water mm. or I can't move forward to the second date. Well, what is it about? What is it about commitment then? If that's the issue that's triggering you, that requires some work. That's that's what we're trying to say. It's not just that these one-off things are happening, but it's like, is there a pattern where I'm consistently finding difficulty in making a decision, difficulty in committing, difficulty uh, in being empathetic, difficulty with my own psychosexual development, uh, difficulty in, in in engaging in a human at a human level. Not just a one-off, not just, man, that one person, man, every time that guy really kind of gets me. But like seeing that that's a pattern that that's a more indic- indicative of of my own heart and my own sense of like, I got to own up. I, I got to get some work. I got I got to do, I got to do some stuff inside of me. I got to seek counseling. I got to seek direction. I got to seek therapy to be able to address what this is so that I can be more capable of giving of myself in relationship whatever context that that relationship that God's calling me to. And I think it can help too. I mean, it's as a counselor, I, I see this and I understand this, but also just as like a individual trying to grow in holiness mm-hmm. and become, you know, trying to grow as a more and more um, emotionally healthy. Uh, a lot of times if we're struggling with a whole lot of nitpicking or um, struggling to look upon others and see gift, I am becoming more and more confident in my individual journey. And also as a counselor, that that's a great source to look at issues with like self-acceptance and self-esteem and self-concept. Because I guess the way I'll say it sometimes is our judgment of others is oftentimes only a fraction of how severely we're judging ourselves. Um, but that right. second one is more difficult to be present to. Um, so we can leverage the other one to better understand like the sense of self. And again, and what I've seen is, is, is there's a greater self-awareness, a healthier sense of self, healthier sense of self-acceptance. Some of that uh, outward way of being resides and like gets, um, gets more lined up. So I would say that as well. Yeah. And so you have to be open then to, to correction or open to, to, uh, um, to these moments. Like you talked about with your, even your, your, your niece, you know, and her bossy nature, (laughs) you're like, Oh, (laughs) uh, I see that in myself. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you 10 years ago probably would have been really upset, you know, like about like being or woken up just so If someone told me she's bossy like it. you, yeah. it would have been a throwdown. Okay, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> Let me just to help your listeners feel like they are not alone. My nickname exactly at right. the bank was Cujo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For my younger listeners who don't know who Cujo is, why don't you explain what that reference is? Cujo <laughs> It's like a, from a horror movie. It's like a mm-hmm. rabid mm-hmm. dog that goes on a killing rampage. So yeah, like, 
know that all things are possible. Uh, we need to use the, the gifts and resources that God has given to us um, at the foundation, like the sacraments, a life of prayer, also counseling. I regret mm-hmm. none of the counseling that I participated in myself. And so uh, yeah. as a client, yeah. and Amen. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. But that Cujo-ness, you know, it's God-given also. There's an element of that that, that is needed uh, to be direct, to be firm, uh, to be um, – uh, it just all – it all needs to be redeemed. It all needs to be yes. purified in his own way. Um, Cujo you know, redeemed so. his mama bear because now I am I am still mama bear. Don't mess with my babies. Don't mess, you know. So Cujo redeemed looks like mama bear, I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah. So I think then like what, what can help people also in this journey if they're asking themselves, well, this question, you know, I think this is where uh, accompaniment and good friendships are really key to helping you understand like who you are and what are the things that you need to work on. I think this is also a place where our culture has, has uh, unfortunately um, not helped young people. Um, in that we don't know how to genuinely state a disagreement in a way that doesn't that doesn't in, in, in incite some type of offense or everything's offensive. If we disagree, we're, it's offensive. If, mm-hmm. if you disagree, then then it means that you're discriminating or whatever yeah. it is. And so, so we don't that we don't in the cancel culture we don't know how to dialogue and press through, and therefore we don't know even the beginning process of that, which is giving real constructive feedback. If you have a real opinion, you know, like being being a good friend sometimes means you got to call them on their stuff. You know, sometimes you got to say in a loving way, "Hey, brother, why don't you why don't you come over here? We got to talk a little bit." You know, but like but that what you did the other day like really offended me, and I'm gonna tell you why. And so, but I trust our friendship enough, I trust our relationship enough, and I'm gonna tell you this because I love you. And so there's there's an element of of genuine friendship that requires. Um, honesty that requires, you know, some, some, some truth to be able to come out. And so if you are somebody who's maybe, uh, are struggling or finding some of these things or not, like ask your friends what they think, you know, mm-hmm. and they might, they might tell you, they may, may tell you that you're being too hard on yourself. And if that's the case, then, then, then receive that. And, and if you can't receive that, then ask why. And then, and then that should lead you to counseling at some point, mm-hmm. you know, if, mm-hmm. if you can't quite understand what that means. Yeah. Appropriate um, but I think vulnerable. good friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What, Mario? Good friends, you were saying? Good friends. I mean, good friends help in being able to 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 tell you uh, what you should or shouldn't be working on. And that could be, you know, good family as well. You know, if you have a healthy relationship with your with siblings or with your parents who who know you and love you. Like be willing to ask them these questions and invite them into this process if they're trustworthy and if those relationships are genuinely built on on love and on prayer and on and on seeking the Lord. Mm-hmm. And now I was just going to add like that vulnerability, appropriate vulnerability. Like we want to be vulnerable in the appropriate places um, where there's been like mm-hmm. a proper establishment of trust and safety, which is with friendships, good friendships, virtuous friendships. Um, but it can just be such fertile soil when we enter into conversations like that, like really, and I agree with you, we're having a human formation crisis on a grand scale across, across media. We are having a human formation crisis on a grand scale and you see it in the absence of actual conversation and dialogue. 
um, and mm-hmm. truly were, were developmentally at about my my pre-K kindergarten babies where, you know, if you say something to me I don't like, you are out. You're out. Right. Um, you're out. Yeah. And so you're right. I don't think culturally we're helping um, one another at all right now. Um, but where we can find those places where that vulnerability can happen and those tough conversations can happen, it's just um, so fertile. So much can grow and bloom there. And it's really a treasure that we should safeguard. Yeah, I think that, and the other thing I want to add here is um, the capacity. So the capacity to have difficult conversations is 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 non-existent. We're not being trained in, in being able to do that, mm-hmm. um, which goes into ambiguity and and all the other things that we've talked about. And the other thing that I want to readdress that we talked about a little bit earlier is that we also really stink at being able to make choices. Mm. Um, and 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 the reason we stink at making choices is because it's a vulnerable process. We have to put our opinion out there mm. um, about what we actually want. That's that's hard because then we have to take responsibility and afford that decision, which also means that when we state what we actually think, we're setting ourselves up for the disagreement, like we talked about earlier, being scrutinized by people who may disagree with it. But we struggle making choices also because we find so much comfort in in having all of our options, you know. Mm. And uh, the the it, it's like I find more comfort in having options than I do actually in making a decision mm. about about it. And so I always try to keep my options open, you know. Like I'm always going to keep my options open about about what I want to do in my life or what I'm going to go or what I'm supposed to date or what, what community or whatever it is. But when we keep our options open, we don't we don't actually then engage. And take the necessary step of of saying I'm going to commit myself mm. to one thing, and that commitment is part of our maturity. It's part of our our development. It's part of of what we have to what we have to do to become the people that God calls us to be. Because we can't be everything to everybody. We can't do everything in our life. We have to genuinely commit ourselves to spend our time doing and forming uh, one or two circumstances, mm-hmm. one or two people, whatever it is, situations, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and so. The capacity to make decisions in a healthy way is part of what needs to be developed also. So, so I would say even pragmatically, if, if somebody struggles making decisions in the big questions, well, do you struggle making decisions in the little stuff? For example, if you're with five or six friends and they say, hey, we want to go out to eat and uh, nobody can make up their mind about what they want to do and everybody's being super nice about like, well, I kind of want pizza, but maybe I want a burger, but you know, that Wings place is pretty good or whatever it is. If you're the one who's always the agreeable one who, who never makes up their mind, why don't you actually try to be the assertive one mm. for change and say, you know what? I actually, I mean, I, I, I really I really want Wings. I watched Hot Wings, you know, on YouTube the other day. And man, I'm just, I, I really want Wings. Everybody all right with that? Yeah, great, good, do it. You know, like try to try to act as if like you are somebody who's capable of making a decision mm-hmm. and and choose that and push forward on it. Because then on the little things, as you develop the habit of of being able to make decisions, it'll make the bigger questions easier mm-hmm. uh, to deal with. It, you've you've developed some type of, of, of foundation to build upon that you can then take to the Lord and be be more equipped at making uh, the bigger decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so practice making decisions and and uh, uh, about what you're going to do, what you're going to watch, and what you're going to see, or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. any thoughts on that? No, I agree with what you're saying. And that decision, that word decision, and actually uh, that in the part in between, the 
it actually means to slay. So like when I choose another thing, I, it's, it's, it's to, to cut off, <laughs> like incision is similar. Wow. Yeah. Um, right. Incision. So That's a it. Pain. Yeah, I never thought of that. It's there's awesome. a pain in it. And I think we tend to want to avoid the, the perceived pain that will come when we cut off, slay um, others for the one. Um, right. But um, I think I was talking to someone yesterday about this. I think that comes again to a, a misperception of suffering, a misperception of the role of like pain and suffering, and ultimately like a misunderstanding of the cross. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but I think some of it, the whole FOMO thing, you know, is, is really just a fear of, of, of uh, the grass is always green on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like maybe what you're doing is enough. Just let, let, let what you're doing be enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even if other people are having a good time, great, let them have a good time. Mm-hmm. It's okay. They can have a good time. You can have a good time. And you don't always have to be together having a good time at the same time. Right. It's all right. Right. It's all right. Um, you can't be everywhere at the same time, but the, that, so, so when you're making a decision, then it's beautiful when you say that it's like, you're slaying, you're cutting off all the other options. Um, and, and that's okay. you have to do that, <laughs> but you have to do that. Like you can't live in life if you're not being, making decisions mm-hmm. because then you're just going to be passive and kind of going down whatever direct, I mean, it's the whole thing. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You don't have to take ownership for responsibility for what your life what your life could be well there's Uh, a living out of the human dignity in our that we because we can choose that's a key aspect mm -hmm. of our human dignity so the absence of choice is is really it's a human dignity concern the absence of making choices the absence of making choices is a human dignity concern so tease that right so like i teach this with this is with the fourth graders too like we tell them uh, it could not be a virtuous friendship unless you were able to freely choose your friend. And so right. our ability to freely choose is an, a part of how we were made in the image and likeness of God, that we have that capacity to discern and choose and think about our thinking and, you know, to, to know like mm-hmm. nothing else in creation. And so when we're checking out from choosing, um, in a sense, on some level, again, I could be committing heresy. Like there is this stepping stepping back from the fullness of our human dignity. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, I think about it in the in the context. I give lectures on the virtue of hope. Yes. And uh, that's one of the things that I do say often is that we we think about hope always in this passive sense. Like, I hope I win the lottery. I hope you know I make it to work. I hope you know whatever. But when we think about hope in the passive sense, we, f- we, it, we fail to see that it's a virtue. And the virtue, as we understand it, is a firm disposition towards the good, which requires, as you're saying, our capacity to actually engage mm. in this process. So hope is a choice in the sense that like, we have to choose hope. We have to, we have to engage in hope so that we develop that virtue interiorly. And it's mm-hmm. something that, that is ours to choose. And that's part of our God-given ability. Like you said, that's really beautiful that it's a, it's a human dignity question uh, when we forsake making decisions because that creative capacity, that creative energy um, is, is, is divinely inspired. Um, And it's only from God that, that we have the capacity to make free Mm -hmm. choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Good stuff. All right, sister. Well, (laughs) thank you so much. This is awesome. So we're coming to an end. 
been more than an hour, I think. (laughs) I I think so. I think so. So thank you for your patience with me and and, uh, giving me some extra time this morning. You proved me wrong. I never thought we could But anyone who listens to all of this, you win some sort of imaginary award. (laughs) (laughs) You win, uh, you win, you win greater steps towards your freedom in life is what you get. So Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so anything to plug? If people are enjoying, you know, what they've heard, how how can people get a hold of you? I'm not good at those. I mean, <laughs> the way to get a hold of me is to pray for me, please. Um, there you I go. We'll do. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> that sounds good. All right. Well, you know, uh I Gave you an opportunity, so uh, there it is. So, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll put a link to your OSV talk. How about that, that? On, on the show Thank notes? Thank you so much. Yes, so people I didn't can think of that. people or, can see that in a, go to osvtalks.com. I know that our Sunday mm-hmm. visitor is wanting to promote those talks. Um, mm-hmm. They're beautiful. I think they're great for people who are involved in ministry in the church. So my talk is there yeah. among a lot of others. Um, I Mine got a million views on Facebook, but that, awesome. is, that is the second to Jared Zimmer, who had more than a million views, many more. And wow. his talk was on Bruce Lee and evangelization. So they're yeah, very like yeah, yeah. interesting takes very on different. different things in the church. Yeah. So I encourage that. Yeah. I'll yeah. take that as a there, plug. I'll do plug. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll do that. We'll put that up there. So Thank that's you. fantastic. I, I've had uh, OSV, uh, Matt Smith. I've had him on the podcast to talk about the initiatives yeah. and the talks and stuff. So wonderful. Good, good folks. Good folks. All right. So Sister Josephine, Final question to ask all my first-time guests, what gives you hope? Oh, what gives me hope? I mean, there's all these things that could come to my mind, but religious life gives me hope. I have two that I'll share. Religious life gives me hope. The fact that we get in this house and we live together and we didn't choose one another and we manage to pray together, sometimes love well, sometimes not so well, forgive, Um the fact that that even exists tells me that the love of God can reign in the entire world. So religious life gives me a lot of hope. These kids give me a lot of hope. (laughs) They are magnificent. (laughs) Um, They're little, you know, they teach so many good lessons about life in just in the simplest of ways. And so it gives me hope, you know, in the extraordinariness of our ordinary lives. And so, yeah, that's what gives me hope. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Two great things in terms of just how God reveals himself and even in the ways that we don't see it initially, but mm-hmm. that when we choose it, like you said, uh, we, we can find it. We can see it. Yeah. So, well, Sister Josephine, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. God bless you. Have a God great day. You. Thank you. You too. Well, that does it. Another great show is over. That's not so definitive. It's done. The show's, it's not done. We're just, that's so ridiculous. All right, well, here we go. So anyways, the show's done. This episode in particular is done. But if you're looking for more great content and resources, well, please check out other episodes of the Always Hope podcast. But if you have particular questions with regards to the sermon, I want to invite you to please check out Sister Josephine's presentation that she did for OSV Talks. I think it was last year. I have a link for that in the show notes. It's a wonderful discussion that she offers and a wonderful presentation that she offers about just daily bread, the sermon and looking at the sermon as we've been talking about is it's not something that is just just this 
thing that you do aside from your life, but rather it's just part of the overall experience of your life. And so look at God's will as, as something that's happening now, even in this moment, as we're as we're sharing this conversation right now, as you're listening, as we're talking, as, as we're being together in some strange way through these digital means, like God's will is, is manifesting in all of this. And so check out her presentation that's there. Check out previous episodes of the Always Hope podcast. I have some wonderful episodes with uh, Father Timothy Gallagher that have tackled this question even more specifically. Uh, they're all there. You can check them out. Anyways, hope everybody's doing great. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.